0: Welcome, listeners, to episode 164 of Journey with a Cinephile, a horror movie podcast. As always, I'm your tour guide here of David Garrett Jr., recording out of Columbus, Ohio. And in this episode, first I want to start off with an apology, is that I had meant to get this one out on Monday. Clearly, you can see that at the time of recording this, it is New Year's Eve, and I still don't have the episode out. But what ended up happening is with the holidays and having my daughter home and everything like that, it has really kind of pushed things back where I was trying to find time to be able to sit down and write the reviews, do the recordings and everything. So that is why I just decided that I'm going to pretty much split this into two different episodes where everything that i watch for my year-end roundup is going to be featured here so let me get into what's on this episode this is technically going to be my christmas episode even though it is coming out as late as it is but i got to watch silent night deadly night 5 the Toymaker as a featured review and i paired it up with flux gourmet they don't make the greatest double feature but i was really just kind of doing my year end and still wanted to get a christmas movie in here so i have mini reviews here though of the black castle fresh hotel poseidon the innocence deadstream men salome the sadness sissy and crimes of the future there's a lot of 2022 rewatches here of movies that were either from this year or got released this year and i also have some tv shows that i was watching at the very tail end there of those mini reviews so i don't really think there's anything else i need to get up to speed with here so what i will say then is thank you so much for listening and bearing with me So let me get you over to a very brief break before I get into those mini reviews, and I hope you enjoy coming on this journey with me. And for my first mini review, here is going to be The Black Castle. This is directed by Nathan Uren. This was written by Jerry Sackheim. This stars Richard Green, Boris Karloff, and Stephen McNally. This is an adventure horror mystery thriller film that is from the United States. This is actually a lesser known Universal classic. This is sitting on a 6.3 on IMDb and a 3.0 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being Man investigates the disappearance of his two friends who were guests of the sinister Austrian Count. So this movie that I discovered thanks to Letterboxd. And I was searching for 1952 horror films. What I didn't realize until settling in was that this featured Boris Karloff and Lon Chaney Jr. as well as being a lesser talked about Universal film. This would be one of the last ones to come out from my understanding and I was quite intrigued to see what we'd be getting here as well since this is one of those one off ones. And I was kind of shocked that I'd never heard of this actually. What hurts it is that it came out late in their run and doesn't necessarily do anything new. I don't mean that as a negative but I believe that is why it fell into obscurity. Now where I want to start is a bit more into our setup. What I find interesting here is that this movie shines a bad light on these European powers. There is legit imperialism as to how Ronald knows the Count Von Bruno. And I should point out here that I believe it is Green portrays Sir Ronald Burton, a.k.a. Richard. And then Boris Karloff is Dr. Messian. And then McNally is the Count Carl Von Bruno. Now, they were both stationed in Africa for their specific country and went against each other. And what I mean there is they fought a skirmish or a battle against each other or something like that. Hearing this made me pause since around this time that this was made, I'm sure there were sentiments about hating these powers for doing what they were doing in foreign countries, but I do not know how outspoken they were aside from those just being oppressed. Then going from there, I want to shift over to our villain. I think he's a more interesting character and this would be the Count Von Bruno is ruthless. He feels like Prospero from the Mask of the Red Death, just toned down for the 1950s. He is a man who likes to partake in pleasures. This could be from importing a leopard and hunting it in the Black Forest. He is married to the beautiful Countess Elga, who is portrayed by Rita Corday. But he wants this woman named Teresa Von Wilk, who's portrayed by Nancy Valentine. He is jaded due to his first wife passing, that does make him a bit sympathetic but not much now he does have a torture chamber in this castle as well i do wish they used a bit more of it but this feels like a movie that just came out a bit before the times to make it more effective i will give credit here to mcnally for his portrayal as the count though so with that fleshed out let me go over to our heroes i don't want you to think that green does a bad job or that ronald aka richard is a bad character the problem is that he's just generic he feels like the golden boy who was there to do the right thing He does fall for the Countess and flirts with her. She is neglected though, so it's fine. I also don't blame her. This just came out in an era where our hero needs to be as close to perfect as possible without any depth there. He puts his life on the line, but it feels more like he's supposed to. So I want to go next then would be the acting. I've already said my piece on Green and McNally. What is wild is that the best actors are minor characters. Karloff, as I said, is his doctor who works for the Count and then he wants to help Ronald and Elga to escape. The other is Lon Chaney Jr. who is Gargan. This character is a bit of a hunchback who is used as a lackey for the count. They both just take over the scene when they're there. And then we also have John Hoyt and Michael Pate. They're two other counts that hang out with Von Bruno and they're also good villains. Valentine is attractive in her minor role. I'd also say that the likes of Tudor Owen, we also have Henry Corden, Otto Valdis, and the rest of the cast are just fine for rounding this out for what was needed. So last thing I'm going to go into would be the filmmaking. This is shot well. They don't do anything out of the ordinary with the cinematography, though. The setting is interesting with this castle. There are elements of the old dark house, but they don't really utilize them enough for my liking. Don't get a lot in the way of effects, but it isn't that type of movie either, and I thought the soundtrack fit for what was needed without necessarily standing out. So in conclusion, this movie's fine. It comes out late in the Universal Classic Run and doesn't do much to set itself apart. I think that this is why it's forgotten. It also comes out too early to go further with the elements like the torture chamber stuff properly we get a solid villain with the count von bruno the best performance are the side characters played by karloff and cheney this is just a solid movie doesn't do enough though and becomes a bit forgettable as well i would still recommend it if you enjoy older cinema especially the universal classic run so my rating here for the black castle is going to be a six out of ten And then for my second mini-review here is going to be one that I've already covered on the podcast. I'm just kind of doing a little bit of a roundup here, and that is for Fresh. Gave this one a rewatch. This is from 2022. This is directed by Mimi Cave. It was written by Lauren Kahn, and it stars Daisy Edgar-Jones, Sebastian Stan, and Jojo T. Gibbs. This is a comedy-horror-thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.7 on IMDb and a 3.5 on Letterboxd. With the synopsis being, frustrated by scrolling dating apps only to end up on lame, tedious dates, Noah takes a chance by giving her number to the awkwardly charming Steve after a produce section meet-cute at the grocery store. So this is one that if you want to hear more, I would direct you to a featured review on episode 129 of this podcast here, which is Trek to the Twos number 4. I had this paired up with Dr. X and kind of an interesting little Dr. Double feature there that I kind of realize now, but this is one that I rather enjoyed. We are getting a concept that many of us can connect with in the beginning, and that is online dating or, like, dating with apps. It takes a dark turn into the horror realm after the cold open. It is something that is terrifying and could happen to anybody. There is something scarier to me about real-life horror. The acting is solid. I like the portrayal and range of emotions that we get from Edgar Jones. On the other side, we have Stan, who is just charismatic and can charm her into things that happen, and I'm, she's not, I'm not the only one. The effects were solid. I think the cinematography is great, and what they do with the shots is on point. Soundtrack fit for what was needed in enhancing the scenes. I would say that after this first viewing, it was a good movie, just missing out on great. Now having seen it again, I think that it's gone down slightly. There wasn't anything necessarily bad about it. It just didn't hold up as well with my second watch. So my rating now for fresh is going to be an 8 out of 10. And for my next mini review, I have Hotel Poseidon this is from 2021 it was directed by stefan Lernus, who also wrote this this stars tom vermeer ruth beckwart and Anaki Slitters. this is a horror film that is from belgium it is currently sitting on a 5.6 on imdb and a 3.1 on Letterboxd with our synopsis being a day in the life of reluctant hotel owner Dave, a man troubled by nightmares, his neighbor, his friends, and love, his days and nights blend into each other as he wanders vacantly through the halls of the abandoned and dilapidated hotel Poseidon, which he inherited from his deceased father. When a young woman knocks at the hotel's door looking for a room while Dave's best friend wants to throw a party in the back room and a reoccurring dream haunts him, a surreal and grisly ordeal is set into motion. So this is a movie that came on my radar thanks to Duncan from the podcast Under the Stairs. He reviewed it on his show, so I put it on a list of 2022 movies to check out. I got around to it during my push late in the year. I knew that he said this was surreal, and he questioned if this was horror or not. It is interesting that both on the IMDb and Letterboxd list, it has it as such. But let me get back into that here shortly. So what I find interesting is that I saw this was being compared to the director of David Lynch, and that's pretty spot on. The main character is Dave as the synopsis says, he gets woke up by his neighbor watching porn, they yell back and forth to each other with the latter telling Dave that he needs to do something today that puts him outside of his comfort zone. That and more happens as he goes through his day. What I didn't realize was that Dave inherited this place after his father passed away. I know that his aunt's pension checks are keeping the place open, it probably shouldn't be though. It is in shambles, and he's embarrassed when Nora, who's betrayed by slighters knocks. She pushes her way in and talks him into letting her stay. Now, Dave grows a crush on her. This will cause him to sneak into her room as she strips down into her underwear. She seems intrigued by him despite how odd he is. So, what I want to bring up here is that it feels like the writer and director is doing his take on a Lynch film. We don't know if what we're seeing is real or what is a dream. Part of what we are getting, our dreams, and our nightmares are as well. There are things like Dave being lost in a forest when he finds Nora. The two of them have children together and do what they can to raise them off the land. This turns out to be a dream. There are others, though, that he experiences that are more nightmarish. Now, where I want to shift over to be with the cinematography. The first thing that I noticed was the framing of the shots is great. We set up the state of the hotel by spinning around a room. This ends up being the title card of the movie, Through layers of junk, it spells out the name and this is like forced perspective stuff. That was creative. Putting myself in the hotel made me anxious. It is in such disarray and the state of things is just beyond repair. I give credit to the set design. One that stood out was Dave making breakfast. Everything he has is gross and probably expired. It makes for a good scene with what we are getting and I was impressed with this. Now something I want to explore is if this is a horror movie or not. There isn't much in the way of story. We're just seeing Dave as he goes through this day. He doesn't seem to know what is going on either. He goes through different set pieces to the next. There are just dreams that you're seeing are reality, and then the place that I've already set up is gross. There isn't anything necessarily horrific outside of that. And I guess part of placeness in the horror realm would be the situations that he gets in. They are uncomfortable, it could also be atmospheric as well. That gives off a creepy vibe and I would be hard pressed though to truly consider this to be in genre. So all that I have really left to go into before getting to the closing thoughts here would be the acting. It is solid in an odd way. Vermeer plays Dave well. He is aloof and doesn't necessarily know what he's, you know, what's kinda of going on around him. It is interesting since he is our lead and we follow him. We are as lost as he is, which works. Makes for a dynamic that I enjoyed. Slighters is attractive as Nora. We get to see her nude if memory serves which if you're looking for that that's pretty solid i thought that she plays a character who fits in this world and doesn't find it weird that makes it more surreal other than that the rest of the cast of characters you know play interesting type roles i think that adds to the atmosphere as well so there isn't much more i can delve into so i will say in conclusion as i enjoyed this i think it's a well-made movie this is more of an experience and a coherent story to follow dave goes through a day that is surreal and dreamlike at times you could say that it's a nightmare The cast around him helps for sure. We get some great cinematography, which helps. The state of the place may be uncomfortable in the best way possible. I can't fully call this horror, even though that's how it's listed. Won't be for everybody, but if you like house films, I think you can appreciate how this is made. It is lacking for me to fully get invested, though. So my rating for Hotel Poseidon is going to be a 7 out of 10. Then up next is going to be one that's going to be another shorter review, and that's going to be The Innocents. This is from 2021 and goes by the original title of D... Uskalej. This is directed by Iskel Vogt, who also wrote this. It stars Raquel Lenora Flatum, Alva Brinzimo-Ramstad, and Sam Roshoff. This is a drama, fantasy, horror, mystery thriller that is a co-production between Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Finland, France, and United Kingdom. It is currently sitting on a 7.0 on IMDb and a 3.6 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being During the bright Nordic summer, a group of children reveal their dark and mysterious powers when the adults aren't looking. In this original and gripping supernatural thriller, Playtime takes a dangerous turn. So this is one that if you want to hear a bit more, I'm going to direct you over to episode 133. This was a featured review and it was paired up with The Death Kiss and this was Trek to the Two's number seven. But this is a movie that I thought looked good. I was leery about it though coming in. I'm glad that I watched it though. We have a group of children that are different while also having things in common. I'd say the acting from them is good. The rest of the cast is solid in support. We don't get a lot in the way of effects which you would actually expect but what we do are solid. I had no issues there. Other than that I'd say the rest of the filmmaking aspects are well done especially the cinematography. I think this is an above average movie that is just below being good now having revisited that has come up slightly for me i now think this is a good movie so my rating here for the Innocents* from 2021 has come up as i am now at an 8 out of 10 here then my next mini review for you is going to be deadstream this is from 2022 this is written and directed by joseph winter and vanessa winter now joseph also stars in this with melanie stone and jason k wixom this is a comedy horror film that is from the United States and United Kingdom as a co-production. This is sitting on a 6.5 on IMDb and a 3.4 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being a disgraced internet personality attempts to win back his followers by live streaming one night alone in a haunted house, but when he accidentally upsets a vengeful spirit, his big comeback event becomes a real time fight for his life. So this one i was intrigued to check out as i had heard positive things about it through podcasts it came around the same time that vhs 94 was released it seemed like most had watched both preferred this one that made it go on a list of movies to check out and i'm you know kind of doing some last minute watches for my year-end list here so just so you know this is a found footage movie and it works in that confines my issue tends to be is why are they still filming when things get weird now we have sean who's portrayed by winter and i think he needs this he is a millennial that bases life around his career, so if it fails, he has nothing. Going along with this idea, the cameras are attached to him. He cannot just put them down, so it makes it more believable for me. And he also has set up some like security ones that are attached to the walls and whatnot. So this one had me on board from the beginning. Now, with that established, I want to go over to our story. I give credit here as well, since this is simple. We get the setup that Sean is a vlogger. He was successful and then ran into a wall with the content he was putting out. He is now trying to get back there. He decides that to go to a haunted house and film what happens. To make things more exciting, he takes items that he thinks will upset ghosts or rile them up at the least. This includes like doing a seance, having a Ouija board, and bringing holy water. This isn't doing anything new. We've seen things like this in the past. Regardless, I think that this works and I'll get to why here, which is the acting. Sean is a guy that in real life would annoy me. How Winter plays it is great. There is something that he just needs, you know, makes me like him as he just needs to succeed, but he has odd charisma about him and is also anxious. He needs to succeed, so he's torn between surviving and continuing what he's doing. I feel for the guy while also thinking that he's an idiot. It is sad to see people watching him mock what he's doing, as putting yourself out there is something that doesn't always feel good when you fail. But I mean, I give credit to anybody that does, and I want to give credit to his performance for all this. Then shifting back to the story, this is smarter than I gave credit to originally. I don't want to spoil this since I think this should be seen, but Joseph and Vanessa Winter did something interesting with the story. They've correlated what Sean is doing with this entity from the past. We have a curse that is spread, which is what Mildred is trying to do here. This reminds me of the Exorcist movies that I enjoy quite a bit, I just found the idea of being famous and what the lengths of people will go to obtain it. There's a variation here that is done with our hero and villain that I found creative. And I think the last things to go into would be the filmmaking. I've already said that the found footage angle worked. Sean sets up security cameras throughout the place. He also will mount it on the walls. I was saying. There's this setup that he always has a camera in his face and that works and one where you can kind of see in front of him. The effects we get are solid. There is CGI from what I'm guessing but I had no issues there. We also have a solid enough soundtrack, which I don't only really like in my found footage one, but it's funny because Sean has a pre-made playlist and uses it at different times. That adds to the realism that we need to go along with the diegetic sound. So in conclusion, it's a solid film that I'm glad that I saw while making my end of year list. We have a simple enough story that works. The lore they incorporated also was solid. I didn't even include that the use of videos to fill in backstory and to kind of prevent doing some filler stuff with Sean watching things being sent to him to survive joseph winter was good as our lead i thought the acting around him was solid the found footage take adds something for me and this is just a well-made movie this won't be for everybody but if you like the premise then i'd say to give this one a go for sure so my rating for deadstream is a 7.5 out of 10 and then i have another short review for you he's going to be men this is from here in 2022 this is written and directed by alex garland this stars jesse buckley rory Kinnear, and papa isidu this is a drama fantasy horror thriller that is from the united kingdom it is currently sitting on a 6.1 on imdb and a 2.9 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being a young woman goes on a solo vacation to the english countryside following the death of her ex-husband so another one that i've watched earlier this year gave it a rewatch. if you want to hear a featured review i'll direct you to episode 134 this was paired up with the monster walks as this was trek to the twos number eight But this is a movie that, as the third act started, I was loving it. Upon watching how things play out and leaving, I wasn't sure what I saw. I'll admit that I did read up an article to help gather some sense and confirm ideas. This movie is well made. I can give credit to Garland. The commentary this uses could be, you know, in the face to some people, especially if you think like the men in the movie do. I enjoy what they're conveying, though. There is a bit of religion mixed in here with some pagan thoughts, and I enjoy that in my horror. The acting is good. I like Buckley as our lead, but the true star for me is Kinnear. After the first viewing, this was a good movie. It held up that second time around, and my ratings actually come up quite a bit. Probably one of the biggest jumpers that I've had in this little rundown that I'm doing. So if you like Art House, I would recommend this one for sure. And my rating for men is now a 9 out of 10. And then up next, I have Salome. This is from 2021, written and directed by Jean-Luc Aberdeau. This stars Jan Giel, Evelyn Lin Juhan, and Roger Sala. This is a action horror thriller that is from Senegal. This is currently sitting on a 6.3 on IMDb and a 3.5 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being in 2003, a trio of mercenaries escaping a coup in guinea basu take refuge in a hidden region of the salome river of senegal but something from beyond the grave awaits them there so this is one that i saw pop up on shutter it looked intriguing to me but i wasn't sure if this was going to be one that i was going to get to or not a couple of podcasters that i know spoke highly so i moved it up my list of things to check out as i was winding down my end of year list and i think this does well in fleshing out kind of those ideas that you get in the synopsis where i want to start is that i have a fond spot for movies like this it reminded me of a another one from africa called the dead and i just mean that on the most surface level this is taking place on the african continent something supernatural is happening i'm a big fan of that zombie movie and that was something i just want to kind of establish here then to get into this one we get a solid setup we get to know our main character of shaka who is portrayed by gaul And his crew before sending them in this remote village where they get stranded. What I like is that things aren't as they seem. This group knows that someone sabotaged their plane. Their fuel leaked out, but the hole isn't from a gunshot. Someone stabbed it with a knife. There is a reason that this group is here. I won't reveal the truth, but the revenge line in the beginning makes sense. It also made this character a bit of a villain. What I like here is that they made him complex speaking of complex characters we get that as well with the character of omar who is portrayed by bruno henry he seems like a nice guy in the beginning he has this socialist utopia going they don't use money everyone is given a specific job for that day and if you fulfill it then you get food and water if you want extra things then you have to you know repay it in the form of a task to get rid of that debt and i just kind of dig that idea The problem though is that there is a curse that is on this area. It has to do with the village being able to be maintained. Part of their protection there gets broken and that allows these entities to attack the villagers. That is where I'll shift next. Now I don't want to start with a negative but I need to here. We don't learn a lot about what is cursing this village. I'm not sure if it's lore that these people from the area would know and that that's kind of a me issue. I actually just know that there is a darkness here and something happens to let it out. Despite me not knowing that isn't actually a problem. I like what they're doing here this entity needs to be let in now awa who is a deaf mute is protected since she can't hear they realize this and the villagers need to use like headphones or you know kind of different protections to be able to not be hearing these different entities from what i'm gathering they say things to get inside i like what they're doing here which is creepy there is a history as well as to why these mercenaries show up and that all makes sense to everything. Now I'm not sure if there's more to the story that I want to delve into, so I'm going to take this over to the characters. I think our trio of soldiers is solid. They all have confidence with them and that works. So I'll give credit here to Gaul, Sala and Mentor Ba. I also like Yuhin as she plays the deaf mute woman very well. That could be considered a handicap, but we see it's more than a it's actually a plus for her in surviving things. I liked Henry as well as the rest of the villagers. There just seems to be a bit of them that is unassuming, but the more that we learn, I think that works for what we needed here. So all that's left then would be the filmmaking. I think the cinematography is good. The action sequences are well done. That works for what we get in the beginning before slowing down to meet our characters who are in this village. Practical effects we get there are solid. I don't love the CGI of the creatures, but upon seeing them, it would be difficult to do without. I will be lenient there. Other than that, I thought the soundtrack fit for what was needed. So in conclusion, this is a solid movie. I would go as far to say that's a popcorn flick, but we do get vibes of that with the action angle. What this does well is showing how it is to live in a war-torn country. We also get to see the look at living in a village utopian concept type thing here. I like the lore that we get. If anything, I could use more of that. I thought the acting here was good across the board. There are layers of the characters, which I appreciate. I'd also say that this is well made from the cinematography to the effects, which include the CGI here. I think this is a movie that can be enjoyed or analyzed without having something to say. It isn't in your face, but be warned that this is foreign. So that's not an issue. And what I said sounds good. I would recommend giving this a viewing. So my rating here for Salome is going to be a 7.5 out of 10. And another little mini review here for you and this is going to be for the sadness it goes by the original title of kubei this is originally from 2021 and this is written and directed by rob jabaz this stars benran Zhu, regina Lei, and ying ru chen this is a horror film that is from taiwan It is currently sitting on a 6.5 on IMDb and a 3.2 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being a young couple trying to reunite amid a city ravaged by a plague that turns its victims into deranged, bloodthirsty sadists. So this is one that if you want to hear a featured review, I'll direct you to episode 135, as I had this paired up with Haunted Gold, which is kind of funny now. That was Truck to the Twos number 9, but I was glad I watched this movie. We get a different take on the zombie film with these people infected by this virus. The social commentary is good. It is looking at the world that we live in and how badly things are handled at times. It also explores some other things while the story itself is simple. I think that the acting is good in bringing these characters to life. The best performance for me is Wang as the businessman. The effects we get in this movie are on point. There are some slight hiccups with CGI and a lack of blood with some wounds. I will give credit to the soundtrack and the cinematography is solid. I would say that this is a good movie with my second watch my rating came down slightly I still think this is good though and won't be for everybody just because of kind of some of the subject matter and how far they go with some things definitely I've seen much worse though so my rating for the sadness is an 8 out of 10. Then up next I have a review for Sissy this is from 2022 this is directed between Hannah Barlow and Kane Senes who also they co-wrote this together This stars Aisha D., Hannah Barlow, and Emily D. Margaretti. This is a comedy-drama-horror-romance thriller that is from Australia. It is currently sitting on a 6.2 on IMDb and a 3.3 on Letterboxd with the snobs being two best friends, Cecilia and Emma, after a decade run into each other. Cecilia is invited on Emma's Bachelorette weekend where she gets stuck in a remote cabin with her high school bully with a taste for revenge. So this is one that I noticed on Shudder. I'll be honest, I thought it was another movie that was on my list, so I decided to check this one out one night. It wasn't until referencing back that I realized that this wasn't the one on my list, but since this was a 2022 horror film, it worked out for me as well. So this is an interesting look at our characters. Where I want to start is with our lead. This does well in presenting Cecilia as a victim in the start, and I should say she is portrayed by D now we see her from her point of view and then it seems like we kind of shift a bit the more that we introduce emma who's portrayed by barlow as her best friend that might actually be the case though as they were friends but it seems like emma felt sorry for her and they've drifted apart but emma's a people pleaser cecilia thought that they were closer than they were this is a tough pill to swallow and she must come to terms with it during the weekend To delve a bit more into the psyche of Cecilia. She is on shaky ground. She exudes confidence without actually having it. She needs social media to reinforce it, and it makes her feel better. When she feels down, that's where she escapes to. There is an uncomfortable scene where she's called out by Alex, who's portrayed by D. Margaretti. That's the bully. Now, there's also Jamie, who is Daniel Monks, and then Tracy, who is Yiren Ha. And then Emma's fiance is Fran, portrayed by Lucy Barrett. They all point out that what she's doing is a fraud everybody but emma and fran cecilia comes back that she has a disclaimer this group seems like social justice warriors to the extreme i'm all for doing the right thing and holding people accountable but there are bigger things to be concerned with than what we get here it is interesting that fran is actually going for her doctorate to be a psychologist so that makes it awkward when cecilia has no formal training but has such a following now before getting away from this character fully i want to talk more about Dee's performance She does so well at faking that she's confident. It is also great to see the other side when she's faltering. I thought this was one of the better performances of the year, actually. Going along with this as well, I like how she introduces her side of the story. The more characters we meet, the more the other side we get. Alex calls her a psycho for attacking her as a child. Seeing that Cecilia put up with, I don't blame her. Now, as an adult, the effects that we're seeing are coming out worse. There are years of pent-up hurt and rage bubbling to the surface. This hooked my interest to see where it would go, and it's quite dark with the implications, which I appreciate. Now, since I've already moved over to our acting, let me talk about the rest of the cast. Barlow is interesting as well. She seems nice. She wants to include Cecilia in what they're doing. Emma does take pity out of from what I'm gathering. It also feels a bit like she led Cecilia to believe they were better friends with just how Emma is. It is a bit fake, which feels real d Margaretti is good as the bully she also has a right to be angry but it's also her fault she along with monks and Ha, are just horrible people they annoyed me but i appreciate since that does feel real other than that i thought that barrett and the rest of the cast were on the south for what was needed so the last thing to go into would be the filmmaking i thought we got some good cinematography along with that would be the editing they do some interesting things to cut over to cecilia making videos or watching old ones thought this was interesting that when she gets down or hurt that's where she runs to she needs that reassurance there are also some great shots that are used throughout and the use of focus this changes at different times which adds something other than that i thought the effects were good we get some brutal ones at the end that caught me off guard they looked to be practical which was good i'd also say the soundtrack fit for what was needed without necessarily standing out so in conclusion here this is a movie that does some interesting things it is one in this time where influencers so like it really couldn't be made earlier so it's really fitting for this era cecilia is unstable but i like how she's established she wants to help people but she also wants to be friends with emma and this leads to disastrous results with her friend group the performance from d is solid the rest of the cast around her push her to where she ends up we get some good cinematography as well as effects i think that this has something to say which is good but it falls a bit short of fully keeping my attention it is worth a view though i'd even recommend this to non-horror and horror fans alike so my rating here for cissy is going to be a seven out of ten and for my last official mini review here i do have some stuff i'm also going to kind of go into just very briefly after this one here but it's going to be crimes of the future this is from 2022 written and directed by david cronenberg stars vigo mortensen leah sedu and kristen stewart this is a drama horror sci-fi film that is a co-production between canada greece and united kingdom it is currently sitting on a 5.9 on IMDB and a 3.3 on Letterboxd with a synopsis bean. Humans adapt to a synthetic environment with new transformations and mutations. With his partner, Caprice, Saul Tenser, celebrity performance artist, publicly showcases the metamorphosis of his organs in an avant-garde performances. So this is a movie here that I did a featured review on episode 136, which was paired with Behind the Mask. This was Truck the Two's number 10. But this is one i tried to temper my expectations for i was excited to see cronenberg return into horror this one did leave me wondering what i saw but as i reflected it stuck with me we were getting good commentary with the you know about the environment and human evolution and i mean pollution with the environment it also has our writer director exploring fetishes as well i think that the acting is good across the board the effects are as well both practical and cgi this is a well-made film with the cinematography to the soundtrack What I have issues with is that it's slow and meanders, so I did have my issues with the pacing. After my first viewing, I thought this was a good movie that was bordered on great. Now with a second watch, I've come down with my score. It just didn't hold up with me as well, but I still recommend at least giving it a watch. So this one's probably my biggest one that has fallen, as Crimes of the Future is now sitting at a 7.5 out of 10 for me. And Jamie and I, over this last week, I've already kind of said stuff with the holidays is really kind of pushed some of the stuff back and it made it tough to review and then record but whatnot but we did watch the first season of Wednesday we really enjoyed that one Jenna Ortega did a great job there kind of a fun little gateway horror show I would say as we have different monsters which I wasn't necessarily expecting that as you get things like now they're not mermaids I guess sirens is what they are you also get some werewolves in there I think there might even be some vampires and there's gorgons And there's even a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde. Really kind of a fun show. And I like what they do with the family and where they go with that. Now, we also started watching Lost again as we are working our way through the second season. So we've been watching a lot of television shows. I've also been delving a bit more into the Marvel and whatnot. So that's also what we've been doing and what has been taking a bit of our time. Also, I've kind of already said this in the opening as well as Mackenzie also kind of takes a lot of my time as well. So that's all I'm going to do here for mini-reviews. So let me get you over to the trailer of my first featured review. Welcome to the shop of Joe Petto. Here, you'll find the most amazing gadgets on Earth. Each toy is unique. What a terrible accident. Sarah, you think this is an accident? Look. Each specially designed by the craftsman himself. Fuck, where did all all these toys come from? Sarah, what do you know about that old guy from the toy store? What if I told you he was arrested for maiming some kids several years ago? What reason could he have to hurt innocent children? Joe Petto always wanted a real boy. Where's Derek? He took him! He took him right who? The Netflix Toy store! But he'll have to make what he can get. All you need is a little of that, and a little of that, and a little of that. From the producer of Bride of Reanimator. I want my boy when you done with him! I'm your son now! Not! Him. With special effects by Screaming Mad George, Inc. of Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 4, comes the most incredible night yet. Mickey Rooney stars in Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, The Toymaker. Merry Christmas! And for my first featured review here is going to be Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, The Toymaker. This is from 1991. This was directed by Martin Kit Rosser. And then he also co-wrote this with Brian Usna. This stars William Thorne, Jay Higginson, and Van Quattro, While also having Tracy Frame, Neith Hunter, Conan Usna, Mickey Rooney, Brian Bremer, Jerry Black, Clint Howard, Thornton Simmons, Catherine Scriber, Zoe Usna, Jennifer Pushek, Billy Oscar, Kathy Usna, Gary Schmoller, and Amy L. Taylor. This is a horror sci-fi film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 4.5 on IMDb and a 2.6 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being an elderly toy maker and his son make killer toys designed to kill their customers' children. So this is an odd film that is much like the one earlier. This is another installment to the franchise that doesn't have anything to do with the movie previous. I remember seeing the title of this and hearing about it on podcasts and I'll be honest, the fourth movie was solid enough so I was wondering what we would get with this one here. So before I jump into the movie itself, let me do some featured notes here, and I'll start with our director of Kit Rosser. He has helmed four movies. In horror, there are three. This was his first one, followed by Daddy's Girl and The Fiance. I have not heard of these latter two, though. Now, he also co-wrote this, and as a writer, he has six. There are three in horror. His first was Friday the 13th Part 3, and then Friday the 13th Part 5, A New Beginning, before writing this. Then Yuzna co-wrote this one with him, and he has six in this role as well. Out of Horror, he did Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which I love. In in Genre, he did Bride of Reanimator, Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, Initiation, ahead of this one here. Now, he did Necronomicon and Takut, Faces of Fear. Now, I've not heard of this last one, and Necronomicon is one that is on my list of things to check out. Then to our cast, I'll first start with Thorn. I've seen all three of his movies. Out of horror, he did Bill and Ted's Bogus Adventure, and he was also in Dynamic Toys. Now, over to Higginson, she has seven movies. This is the only one that I've seen. Now, she had one other horror film with Slaughterhouse. I believe that's a slasher film. I have not seen that one, though, either. Then, lastly, I'll look at Quattro. He has been in 15. I've seen him in things like Fight Club. Now, in horror, I've seen End of Days and this. Now, he's also in something called Agnes, And then 13 tracks to frighten Agatha Black, and I've not heard of these last two, as I believe that last one there is actually slated to get released this year. So then to actually get into this one here, we start this movie off in a house. We have Derek, who's portrayed by Thorne, is a son, and he hears a doorbell ring. He walks into his parents' bedroom of Sarah and Tom, who she is portrayed by Higginson, him by Quattro. They're making love, but they don't notice him. Now he then goes downstairs and opens a door. It is a present with a note to not open until Christmas. Derek brings it inside and proceeds to unwrap it. This upsets his father who punishes him. He also sends him to bed. Now, Tom notices that the gift is making noise and moving. He opens it to find a red and green ball. It is a variation on a jack-in-the-box, but more like a Santa in a ball, I guess. This attacks and kills Tom, but it ends up looking like an accident as a fire poker is pulled into everything here. Now, Sarah is noticeably distraught. Derek, too. The latter won't even speak. She tries to get him to and, you know, do what she can to break his shock, including taking him to a local toy store. The place is called Pedos, and it is run by Joe, and this is portrayed by Rooney. He works there with his odd son of Pino, portrayed by Bremer. Now, Joe is determined to find a toy that Derek will like. While they're looking, Noah Adams, who's portrayed by Frame, sneaks in. Now, he has a newspaper clipping about what happened to Tom, and he's interested in this family. It is then to the point where he's almost a stalker. This isn't the... Last gift that is dropped off for Derek. Another one is a pair of rollerblades that have an odd modification. Pino seems interested in their house where Joe is trying to get him to keep in line. Now there's some underlying things and issues here that tie with the Quins to Noah as well as to Pedo family. It culminates then in murder as we search for this truth here. So that's what I'm going to leave my recap and introduction to the characters. Where I want to start is the obvious elephant in the room. This movie is taking elements from Pinocchio. The first one being that I noticed that the main guy here, or I guess the guy who runs the toy store is Joe Petto, and he's a toy maker. This gave away something for me when I realized that his son's name was Pino. We get a darker take here. The story has Geppetto loving his son no matter what, and Joe here is hard on Pino, and it contributes to the ending. Now, with that set up, let me go to the story. I don't mind it. There are some mean spiritness behind everything that you'd get in like Halloween 3. I love the idea of creating toys to kill kids. There isn't much of that here, but that's the intent. Now, this snazz is a bit misleading. I won't point out what is wrong with it, as that would go into spoilers, but I don't need to go there here for this review. To stick with this idea of killer toys, it made me think of an insane clown posse song of Toy Box. I looked up when that album came out and it was after this was made. It makes me think they could have used that as an inspiration from this. Now to close out this part, I think we get a decent slasher that comes out at the end of the boom and I mean pretty much after it. Now we you want to go next would be the slasher elements. For this movie to work, you need to either have good characters or cool deaths. We don't really necessarily get either, but the lo- creativity for the latter is where I'll give credit. We have these different toys that are coming to life and killing people. They are strategic early on with the deaths to make them look like accidents. And I can appreciate that it comes to build suspense with that. I'm glad that this went practical with the effects. Part of that is that the era that it came out. The issue is that we don't really get enough killing for my liking since the effects do look so good. So the last thing to go into for the story would be the Christmas elements. This is one that acknowledged that Christmas is coming. It takes place in California though so we don't get a lot of snow. Or any to be from my memory. So that's a bummer. This doesn't embody it as well as others, but I'd say it is better than some installments in this franchise for sure. So that should be enough for the story. So let me go over to the acting. I thought it was fine here. Being that this is a low budget one, we just need the characters to be at least identifiable enough. Thorne is fine as the boy. They hide him well and having him be in this like catatonic state. So he doesn't really have much lines. And I think that's done strategically. I do think that this shows good fear and even growth during the climax for him to fight back. Higginson is fine as his mother. Frame is about the same. It is funny to see Rooney in this one, and I'll get into that here shortly with some trivia. But him and Bremer are solid. We also get a cameo from Clint Howard reprising his role that was once again of Ricky. I think this is more of a nod to the other movies in the series, as I don't think it's the same guy technically. I mean, it's the same actor, but not necessarily the same character outside of the name. No one is good here, but they fit for what was needed. All that would be left then would be the filmmaking. I've already said my piece on the effects. I thought the cinematography was fine. I think having Yuzna as part of the team probably helped, as even though he didn't direct. Other than that, the soundtrack worked for what was needed without necessarily standing out. This isn't a bad movie, so I will give credit there as well. So then, just a little bit of trivia that I want to do here is that Rooney wrote a letter of protest against the first movie in this franchise, stating that it was Scum who would be should be run out of town for having sullied the sacredness of Christmas, but he co-starred in the fifth installment in the gory horror series. During the scene where Noah is playing Santa at the mall, a little girl asked for a copy of the movie Bride of Reanimator, which was a film directed by Yuzna. The characters Pino and Petto references to Pinocchio and Geppetto from the classic 1883 novel. The building used for external shots of Sarah's workplace is the headquarters of now defunct Live Home Video, the company that originally released this on VHS in North America. Richard Ed Gladstein, who served as a producer, plays a character extra with no dialogue in the previous film in the series Initiation, this was the fourth one, and he played a character with a full role still serving as producer. Co-writer and director Kit Rosser went on to be script supervisor on every Quentin Tarantino film. Hunter and Usna appear reprising their roles of Kim and Lonnie from the fourth installment. Kim seemingly having adopted Lonnie, his obviously having gotten older between the films and her oblique references to having been through prior traumatic events. Suggests The Toymaker as a direct sequel. This is complicated by the fact that Howard also appears reprising his role of Ricky from Initiation. Despite his character having died and been devoured by giant maggots. Actor Conan Usna plays the same character he portrayed from the previous film as I was saying. Hunter plays the same character the same name as well. Which is kind of interesting is this has both films are completely different people in charge of casting. And then Howard plays a character with the same name as a previous one. Both films once again different people in charge of casting. So that in conclusion here, this isn't a bad installment to the series. What is interesting is that this is kind of what John Carpenter envisioned for Halloween when we'd get a standalone stories with the premise being slasher-ish and around Christmas. I like the concept here with killer toys. Basing this loosely around elements of Pinocchio is interesting. The acting is fine for this movie like this. This is made well enough. Don't come in expecting a lot as is just a solid late slasher around a holiday. So my rating here for Silent Night, Deadly Night 5, The Toymaker, is going to be a 6 out of 10. Not going to do a spoiler section, so let me get you over to the trailer of my second featured review. I like making noises. In what way? promising first concert. A wonderful fact. Woo! But it's time to move on and continue our investigation into an array of intercultural disciplines. Flatulence? Yes. And deep breath. Am I going to die? Name me a living thing that isn't. What is he doing in there? A thousand hands A floor to the boss. She says what she likes, what she doesn't like. I could replace them and nothing would change. I stop and smile We're all harboring something that needed purging. We need all kind of hate each other anyway. Somehow backstage I'm how much of you is in this? Everything. And with that, the need to go further into oblivion. Wait till I write my memoirs. You write those memoirs. I will. and performing is a hazard it happens all the time this kind of thing and for my second review it's going to be Flux Gourmet this is from 2022 this is written and directed by Peter Strickland it stars Fatma Mohammed Gwendolyn Christie and Mac is Papa Demetrio, while also having Harry Alexander Paolo Bafisio, Leo Bill, Richard Bremer, Ginger Brunton, Azza Butterfield, Katarina Coria, Sarah D, Ingrid Evans, DJ Express, Britta Gartner, Pedro Greppi, Deborah Griffin, James Highland, Sebastian Caps, Ariane Leben, and Rex Leitmer. This is a comedy, drama, horror film that is from a co production of the United Kingdom, Hungary, and United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.0 on IMDb and a 3.3 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being set in an institute devoted to culinary and elementary performances. A collective finds themselves embroiled in power struggles, artistic vendettas, and gastrointestinal disorders. This is an odd movie that I knew that even before seeing it. I saw the trailer at the Gateway Film Center, and I'll be honest though, I didn't know if this was going to be horror or not. This came to shudder i heard duncan from the podcast under the stairs bring it up and when i was searching for 2022 releases i saw this was listed on the imdb and letterbox pages as in genre since what i've seen from peter strickland i've liked i figured i should just go ahead and check this one out as well which is of course why it's here as a featured review so i'm gonna start out with strickland he has been in charge of 22 works i've seen five out of genre i've seen catalan varga In horror, he has done four, which I have now seen all of them. He has done In Fabric, Barbarian Sound Studio, and a short in The Field Guide of Evil. As a writer, he's done 11 projects. I've seen four. They're all the same movies, minus his short. He did not write that one. Moving then over to our actors, I'll start with Bahamut. She has been in eight films. I've seen five. She likes to work with this writer and director, as all of her works that I've seen are the same one that Strickland's directing as well. Then to her co-star of Christy. She has 21 projects. I've seen five. Two of them are Star Wars with Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. She was also in The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2. In genre, she worked with Strickland in In Fabric ahead of being in this one here. And then last I'm going to look at would be Papa Demetrio. He has 32 credits. This is the first that I've seen. His first was from 2009 with Evil in the Time of Heroes. Looks like this movie features Billy Zane, and I had not heard of it as well. So, there is something I want to bring up again with how different this is. If the synoptists didn't confirm that, let me just say that once more. This takes place in an odd institute. Each year, they give out a grant to help foster a performing art collective. Now we have LDL, who is Mohammed, is the leader of this one. They both acknowledge and annoyed by her counterparts of Lamina Proparia, who is portrayed by Lebed, and then we have Ruben, portrayed by Butterfield. And that's Billy Rubin. The Institute is run by Jan Stevens, who's portrayed by Christy. Now, there's also a doctor who helps her by the name of Glock, portrayed by Brimmer. And then we have Jan also hires Stones, who is Papa Demetrio, who is a writer. He interviews the collective and writes down his thoughts. Now, to give a bit more details and flesh out the synopsis, is the leader, but she won't listen to her counterparts. It is interesting since Lamina and Billy create all the sounds for the show. Elle is there more for creative and creation of their performances. She feels that she is the most important though. This causes her to clash with them as well as Jan when she has feedback for ways to improve. It is from the rift that Jan uses things she's learned to seduce Billy and plant seeds of doubts to break up the group. Elle was in a relationship with both members. Those feelings cause her to be vindictive. Now, there's other issues here. Stones has a stomach issue that lands him in the bathroom for long stretches of the night. He has horrible smelling burps and flatulence. They smell which draws the air of those around him. He is a pessimistic person, so he doesn't help with thinking the worst. The last thing I'll bring up is there's this terroristic group who wasn't selected for the grant. They attack the Institute every chance they get. So I think that should be enough where I'm gonna leave my recap. This is a hard movie to talk about, so there's that. I'd also say that if you're interested in getting to Strickland's films, this wouldn't be one to start with. To finish out this opening thought, this is an art house one. I'm not entirely sure if this is horror or not. That isn't to say I didn't enjoy the wild ride that we get here. Where I want to start would be what this movie is trying to say. I'll be honest, I'm not completely sure. I think it's interesting to have this take place in an institute where we have these people who are trying to be like the sonic caterers. I had no idea that Strickland was actually in this group. From what I can tell, they make food and record the sounds. Elle's group is inspired by them and wants to do this. What is intriguing about them is that Elle has no talent, but bosses around everyone else who does. The real talent is Billy and Lamina. Jan wants to help them, especially since that is the purpose of this residency. L doesn't want her help and feels threatened. This causes Jan to end up breaking them up and to get back at her. It is quite petty, to be honest. Then going along with this story, we have this one involving Stones. He has low self-esteem, and that isn't helped by Dr. Glock his bedside manner leaves something to be desired the combination of the two don't mix well stones is convinced that he's going to die glock doesn't do anything to put those fears at ease the issues that stones has though is terrifying when your doctor doesn't do anything to put them at ease so like it just makes him much more worried and just keeps dwelling on everything Elle does take advantage and incorporate stones into her later performances With all that fleshed out is this horror. I don't necessarily believe it is. There is a feeling of dread that comes with stones and his plight. There is tension that builds from our group with Jan. Elle won't listen to the point where she descends into a sort of madness. Billy has deep-seated issues from his childhood about an older woman and eggs. Lamina doesn't seem to fully know her place around her either. Again, none of this is in horror. So my closing thing here would be that there's this feeling of dread and there's a surreal atmosphere and that's about it. That's not to say this isn't a good movie, though. I want to go over to the acting. This is great across the board here. Muhammad works so well as Elle. There are moments where I felt bad for her, but the more that we get to know her, the worse she truly is. Christy is wonderful as her counterpart. I think she is truly just wants to help this collective, but she is pushed to the edge. Butterfield and Labed are solid as the other members there. I also liked Papa Dimitrio and Brimmer. Everyone is just good with their acting, and I'm just kind of impressed there. And the last thing i want to go into before doing some trivia would be the filmmaking if i haven't conveyed it enough strickland is an excellent filmmaker there is such odd atmosphere here we can take such quirky characters and put them in a surreal setting it just works cinematography here is great there isn't a whole lot in the way of effects but it also doesn't necessarily need them what we get here does look good and I also give credit to the sound design and soundtrack it is just a weird movie and that is exactly what it needs So just to do one little bit of trivia here is Butterfield's character is called Billy Rubin. Billy Rubin is an organic compound present in excrement. Strickland may have borrowed this reference from The Silence of the Lambs. I can also say as having a baby who is just in the NICU, this is something that they give blue light treatment to to help lower because it can cause problems. So that's just kind of an interesting that I know that and it's actually a natural type thing in the body. So then in conclusion here, I'm not entirely sure if I understand this movie, but I did enjoy it. We get a surreal setting and atmosphere. The acting is on point with bringing these quirky characters to life. I also think this is a well-made movie overall. I don't think this is a horror movie. It is an our house film, and I went along with the ride there. This is one that I can't recommend to everybody, but there is a specific group that I think will enjoy this movie for sure, and I think you should see this if you're in that subsection. So my rating here for Flux Gourmet is going to be a 7.5 out of 10. Not going to do a spoiler section, because I don't really know what I would go into there. So what I'm going to go ahead and do is get you over to one last break before I close out this show. Journey with a Cinephile. I would like to welcome you back, and then just to close everything out here, if you'd like to send me an email with any sort of feedback or anything that you'd like to have right on the show, you can send me that email at journeywithacinephile at gmail.com. If there's anything that you send me you don't want right on the show just let me know in that email if you'd like to read any of the reviews from anything on this episode or any of the past episodes that's horrorreview.webnode.com if you'd like to become friends with me on facebook i'm david mishkin garrett jr on twitter i'm buckeye from mish letterboxd i'm david osu and over there i'll be posting all of the reviews of anything that i'm watching that is horror or non-horror alike if you'd like to follow my instagram page that's david osu 87 you like to follow the journey with a cinephile Instagram that's journey with a cinephile all one word what I will be posting over there is on both of them the movie posters of anything that I am reviewing and if you follow my personal one every now and then you might see some personal pictures if I ever post any because I tend to forget while I'm out and about and just to make it easier on you I'll have all of those links in the show notes and then the last thing I'd ask you to do is that whatever podcatching device you're listening to me on, if you could go ahead and hit subscribe so you never miss a new episode, that would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you're able to rate and review just so I can figure out what I'm doing that you like and what I'm doing that you don't like, as well as to get out to more listeners out there as well. And for my next episode is actually going to end up being my year-end roundup list it's going to be coming out soon after this one dropped hopefully it's kind of just have to get everything recorded and everything put out there there's not going to be any mini reviews or anything like that it's literally just going to be that list i believe i ended up with 90 horror films that were released this year is going to be with that grand total there will be So keep an eye out for that as it should be coming out here in this next week or so. So what I will say then in closing here is this is going to be a short outro. I don't really have a whole lot to say outside of that is thank you so much for listening. I hope whatever you do today, I hope you're safe and doing it. Have a great time out there. This is your tour guide of David Garrett Jr. and I am signing off. It had been a wonderful evening and what I needed now to give it the perfect ending.